This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This week, the Clarets face Frank Lampard's Chelsea as Turf Moor welcomes the Southerners with all of their blankets, hot water bottles and gloves. This is the None Never podcast. Hello and welcome back to another edition of the No Nay Never podcast. Oh no, that's a preview show. Um, I'm your host, Natalie Bromley, and I am joined this week by regular panellist Robbie, Co- Robbie Kopak and uh, try to say that very quickly, and Richard Steele. Robbie, Richard, welcome back. How do you do? Hi, Natalie, how are you? Yeah, I'd feel a lot better if we just had to got absolutely spanked at home to a Chelsea side. But, you know, nevertheless, all is well. Um, of course, Clarets fans, um, Saturday was not quite the game um, that we thought it was going to be. I, I'm, you know, I'm going to kind of take responsibility for this because I think I did say on the preview show that I thought it was going to be a tight game. I felt very confident we were going to get at least a point out of it. And I think I even said the immortal line um, I just can't see us conceding like four goals against Chelsea. And then at one point it was indeed 4-0. Quite a comprehensive victory for Chelsea in the end, albeit I don't think the Clarets particularly helped themselves or gave um, that strong an account of themselves, unfortunately. It was always going to be a tough game um, in the end, but um, I think a few um, players who were perhaps a little bit out of sorts added to a big pot of um, difficult afternoon, shall we say. Although we were incredibly boosted by two sensational goals towards the end, but we've got loads to unpick. So let's get straight in there. Um, Robbie, let's start with you. Um, A few people missing. Um, Wood, we know, didn't make it because it was a late fitness test. We had a little bit of um, shoving and moving people around in the squad. But actually, uh, I just want to concentrate in the first bit on the first 30, 35 minutes of the game. I actually thought the Claret started really well and were giving just as much as the got. Yeah, it's a strange result to process, really, because, like you said, the performance actually quite positive. Um, I thought we played quite high up the pitch, played some really good football as well against you know, one of the bigger sides. I think in previous seasons, we'd probably sit back and sort of invite Chelsea on and, in a way, kind of wait for them to score. But I really thought we played on the front foot and it was us trying to, you know, really make it difficult for Chelsea and yeah for half a half an hour I thought we were excellent 
even after we went 1-0 down, uh, I thought the response was actually really good. I actually still felt quite confident that we'd actually get something. But to concede a second on the stroke for half-time was like a real like sickness for us. Yeah, Richard, that's a really interesting point and it's something that I noticed actually. I found that there was a just a consistency when, when we went 1-0 down in that they didn't change their style of play. They just carried on and it was almost as if it was still 0-0. They didn't initially um, cave in and they didn't seem to, to shy away from the job at hand. And I think that's perhaps different mentally than some of the sides we've seen in previous seasons. Yeah, I think initially after we went 1-0 down, I think we actually started uh, to play better. It was almost like, well, we're 1-0 down now. We might as well you know, have a go when we freed ourselves up. And obviously Barnes missed an absolute sitter um, at 1-0. I'm still not quite sure how we missed it now. An open goal. Um, but then I would say the last five minutes of the half or the five minutes before we conceded, that's when Chelsea started to get on top again. Um, and I think that maybe come down to Itaki maybe give the ball away because we didn't have much possession at that point and possibly he, he just wanted to keep the ball rather than uh, just hoof it up the pitch. Um, but like Robbie said, uh, I thought at 1-0 we was right in the game and we didn't deserve to be losing. But unfortunately, that second goal was a sucker punch really and then it was always going to be um, an uphill task to get back in the game. Yeah, I think I remember looking at the game, at the clock sorry, and it was at about 34, 35 minutes gone and I remember saying to my dad, um, it just feels like the tide has turned a little bit here and I just felt that Chelsea had started to take control of the game and we were no longer dominating um, the narrative. We were having to react rather than be proactive and, and like you say, Richard, at that point, that's when um, they just started to, to just turn the screw a little bit and a bit the pressure came on and we just didn't seem to handle them as well as they did. Um, obviously, you've already mentioned that that Barnes um, miss. I completely agree with you. I'm not really sure how that didn't go in. Um, I'll come on to it in the middle of a minute, but it was a difficult game all round, I think, for Ashley at the weekend. Um, but Richard, I'm going to stick with you because obviously we, we've got to this point now. Um, despite, you know, a relatively uneventful first half, I was going to say, um, We've praised them today about their mental attitude in that first half and how positive we were. And and even after going a goal behind, we still um, maintained some consistency in our approach. You touched on it then. Just expand on that a little bit about not having pressure. What, what do you think it was about that last five minutes that just led to that goal? I mean, for me, there was an easy pass on there. And, and we've, we've had this... A few times this season where the Clarets have conceded either really close to half time or towards the end and I'm I'm not really sure what they can do differently. Um yeah, it's a difficult question to answer, like you said. I think possibly, you know, you're playing against a quality team in Chelsea, they've got some really good players. I think sometimes maybe later on in the half does fatigue come into a little bit? Uh, I'm not sure, especially when you're only playing four in midfield, two in the central areas. Um, and a lot of teams, you know, they kind of like overload us in the midfield. So possibly later on in the second half, we just struggle to retain possession a little bit and uh, the pressure starts to mount on us more there. And that's maybe why we're, con- we're conceding goals late in the first half and we've conceded a few late in the second half this season. Um, two, like I said, yeah, with that pass, we just tack. It's one of them, yeah, the pass could have been on, but you just think late in the half, could you be a little bit more safe? Could you be a bit more sensible, not trying? pass it uh, straight back into midfield. Um, and like you said, it's a few times this season against the bigger teams where we've given goals away that are just really poor. Um, so I don't know if it is a mentality thing where we're kind of maybe a little bit more nervous, a little bit more tentative, 
Um, you know, when we just don't do the basics quite as well against the big teams, and as we all know, we you know we get punished against them. We really do, and it it does feel harsh, doesn't it? And especially when you see as much football as we do, and and we all watch as many games as we possibly can, and you see some teams making mistakes and and just getting away with it. And you just think, oh god, that was close. If that had just gone past there, he'd put that in back of the net. Or whenever we seem to make a mistake, we get really heavily punished for it. You're absolutely right. Um, and Robert, no more so than the first goal was, of course I'm getting I'm getting the first two goals out of the way pretty early on so we can just look at the rest of the game because poor Matt Lawton there's just no way of getting around it he's not going to want to watch that first goal again is he no he, he I think he just tried to play a simple pass to Tarkovsky I think, I think he just loses his foot in but actually thinking back it looked like Tarkovsky actually made up the ground quite well but then obviously the a couple of step overs and it's a really good finish to be fair and that's what £60 million gets you and like I said Chelsea, Chelsea weren't great at the back but we just didn't punish them and Chelsea Chelsea were ruthless Like I think it was like four opportunities and four goals It didn't feel like a 4-0 game though did it? I was thinking this at the time I was looking at the clock and I was like how are we 4-0 down Robbie? I mean we very rarely get turned over by that many goals but given that this is a question I saw a few times actually on Twitter. Given that the goal, the deficit ended up just being two goals, we ended up pulling a couple back. Would you have rather lost two nil, or I guess how do you feel? Would you rather have lost two nil, or would you rather have been four nil down and still maintain that fight back? Yeah, I'm not sure. I think I think we, when we talked about this on Saturday night, I think I think I said I'd rather lose two nil because I, I like us to be quite resilient and show that sort of resilience when you're sort of under pressure. But at the same time, we were 4-0 down and I thought the, the subs like made a really good impact and it got to show like the character that we do have that we don't that we don't give up. Like we saw last year when Chelsea beat us four 0 and we just caved in and we just didn't look interested. As twelve months on, there was a bit of a reaction and there was a bit of excitement towards you and you sort of come off with a little bit of pride that you sort of pulled it back a little bit. Obviously, I think the Jay Rodriguez goal like helps because it's an absolute worldie. We'll probably win the, the goal of the season now. Um, so I just, I just think that just helps everything, really. Yeah, some good points there. Richard, I can't remember where you came down on this side of the fence when we were talking about this in the group chat. Um, Rob is right. For some reason, I thought this was on social media, but it's absolutely right. My worlds are blurring into one, and this was a debate that we all had coming off the turf in our group chat from, from the None and Ever team. Um, Richard, I can't remember what you, you ended up saying. Would you have... Were you would you have felt more comfortable losing two 0 or were you happy with the fight back from four 0 to four two? I think it's much of a muchness, really. Obviously, you've got to be happy with a caveat to the team. Um, you know, like Robbie said, at four 0 you know, last season we just caved in, and even on Saturday, you think you'd, you know, after watching the Southampton game on Friday, thinking, God, I hope this doesn't become like six or seven and becomes an absolute battering. So four two looks a lot more respectable, but. I think if it's 2-0 at half-time and we lose 2-0, I think we're, we're in the game for longer. And You know, Dai said, which is a positive, is that we are creating more chances against the bigger teams. And we could have scored four or five at the weekend and, you know, we missed two really easy chances with Barnes. Uh, but at the same time, we're not looking quite as solid. Uh, I made a point to my dad when we was leaving the game. when we The season when we come seventh, I can't remember once conceding a goal like that where we, you know, cheaply give the ball away and, you know, the first three goals we did on Saturday, uh, the second goal at Liverpool and then the goal at Arsenal when Gunmanson gave the ball away. So, 
it's something we just really need to just tighten up on and, and not and just not giving those silly goals away. Yeah, it's a really interesting point, is that, Richard? I think, I wonder if there's just an element of we can't have both um, at our stage of development and with the squad and the players that we've got. And it, it's almost like if we tighten up and get back to being as defensive as we were in the European campaign season, well, the, the year we qualified for Europe, we know that season that we were similarly as frustrated with the lack of chances and the lack of the entertainment factor. So if you then move away from that and try and play more openly and play more attacking football, you are going to leave pockets at the back and you're going to leave yourself more exposed. And, you know, you look at some of the the, the sizes, and I think probably as much as I hate him, Bournemouth is probably a really good example of this. They're a side that could very well be pushing for top um, for that seventh place spot and they never really look like they're going to be anywhere near relegation but there's that laughable thing where you always say um, Bournemouth have to score four in a in a game because they're going to concede three Now maybe they're too far the other way but I wonder whether there's just um, an element of that Richard what do you think? I think it I don't even think it's about tightening up at the back. I think it's just about giving easy balls away. I thought we were playing absolutely perfectly fine on Saturday. I didn't think we looked in massively defensive pressure. Uh, same against Liverpool, we were defending really well and tightly. Um but you it doesn't matter who you're playing against really. If you just give simple balls away like that when you're on the transition, you're going to give goals away. Um so and you know, about what you said there about the entertainment factor. Um, you know, if we win one nil every game for me instead of losing four two, um, I'll be far more ent- entertained, especially leaving the game. Oh, that's interesting. So you, for you, you obviously you get more. Well, I suppose this is an obvious point, but for you, the win is win at all costs, and even if even if the game's been quite painful to watch, it's. Well, I suppose that's taking it to the extremes. I guess, and of course, you're not advocating that the game is horrendously dull every single game because yeah that's going to be damaging but um, there is a different school of, of thought out there Richard that, that people um, and I've seen a lot of it on social media where people will say they'd rather lose 4-0 every game to than uh, watch really boring dull negative football just to be entertained now I'm pretty sure that if we lost all games for the entire season and lost them all for no they probably revised that one but uh, it's an interesting it's an interesting point um moving on then obviously we've talked about the defense we've talked about being four nil down um generally speaking robbie um it was a difficult afternoon for ashley barnes he didn't quite look as at the race as did he he has done in previous games but i wanted to talk more about the shape of the team and the focus of our attack when Chris Wood isn't playing. For me, rapidly becoming the most important player in our squad. What do you think? Yeah, having one of Chris Wood's, uh, one of Chris Wood's uh, biggest fans this season, uh, it's, it's probably since he's actually joined the club, really, because I think he does get a lot of unfair stick. Um, yeah, I think Ashley Barnes played, obviously with Wood not in the side, I think Ashley Barnes took, sort of took his position has been like the, the focal point and been like the target man. And it didn't quite work out. Obviously, Zuma pretty much won everything in the air against him. Um, and it's usually Barnes who's dropping deeper as this time with Joe Rodriguez, who had an okay afternoon, to be fair. But yeah, we just really struggled, especially with uh, Dwight McNeil, because uh, McNeil was outstanding on Saturday. A lot of his deliveries probably missed like that Chris, that Chris Wood in the box, you know, someone to hang it up to. Because a lot of the crosses were sort of low and they were easily cleared, and 
we just didn't really have that focal point in the box to really aim for. I mean, how do you feel about this, Richard? Do you think that it's getting to the point where we are completely, I don't want to say one-dimensional because we saw how different our attacking style became when we went 4-3-3 away at Villa, but it was a little bit disconcerting, wasn't it, to see that we didn't really have as effective a backup without Chris Wood in the squad as we did with it? That's that's obviously, you don't want to be in that position, I guess, do you? Um yeah, it's obviously all I'm going to say is I think if Wood played on Saturday, it, the game would have been one all, and then it, it would have been a completely different play, a uh, completely different game. I don't think I don't think the structure of the team or the way the team played was any different than if Wood was playing. Uh, you know, because we played some good football, we got the ball out 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 wide the same like we normally do. Like Bobby said, Dermot Neil was outstanding, uh, but if he played, he definitely would have scored on Saturday. Um, and I think that's just what you miss. When he plays well, he's a really good finisher. Um, so, yeah, I think that's just the key point I'll take away from Saturday. It's not, not just necessarily about all our general play, but he definitely would have scored um, on Saturday too, you know, and he would have made the game a lot uh, more difficult for Chelsea. Yeah, that is so true. It was a game that was just so needing a Burnley goal, either to go 1-1 or to just take the lead initially, wasn't it? And I think... I just don't think we would have seen them score four goals if we'd have got into that game early and we'd have managed to get one of those goals in. Um, But we did manage to get goals in, Richard. And I think, like Robbie alluded to earlier on, um, it was such a massively encouraging sign to see it 4-0 down with, what, 20 minutes left to play. They were still searching for that goal and we ended up scoring two goals really late on and actually if if I remember rightly there was a corner right after the second I just thought oh if this is going to go in here this is going to be an interesting five minutes um but Richard I'm particularly pleased with the first one with Jay because I thought again it, it was quite a quiet game for him and it, it was a frustrating game we didn't really pl- get to play the kind of football that suited his strengths but just the audacity of that strike was absolutely hilarious <laughs> Yeah, it was a great goal. I think, me personally, I think since Rodriguez has started, or really since that Villa game when he came on at half-time, I think he's been really good for us. Um, and like you said, it was a great strike. I'm always someone who's wanting us to sign a few more technical players so we can keep the ball and, you know, so we can be a little bit tidier. Um, and even, on, you know, like on Saturday, I won't say like he did a massive amount, but he, he doesn't give the ball away or his first touch is tidy. He's an intelligent player. I'm probably more critical about Barnes than what some other players are, uh, than what some other fans are. Because sometimes I just watch them and I think you just do the basics so poorly, and it means like we lose possession and then he starts giving fouls away. Um, and I personally think now he, you know, his performances, with, even with Wood coming back, I think he deserves an extended run in the team, uh, part, partnering Wood, because he, he, he offers you something different. He can drop. Uh, deeper link link up play with the number ten role. I think out of the three strikers, he's the best with his feet. Um, and you know, there's no chance Wood or Barnes would have scored that quality goal that Rodriguez did, uh, taking it. You know, first you know, great first touch driving at the defence, and then you know, a wonderful goal in the top corner. Even though it was nice to have that consolation goal, you know, it, I think it would have been a, a bit more thrilling if it, if it, if it was uh, the winner on Saturday away at Sheffield United. Uh, but you know, you can never. Uh, you know, not in, not enjoy those quality of goals. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I do hope he scores some next weekend. No, you're absolutely right. I think he is 
a very clever player. He's always thinking about what he's going to do next. And I think one of the things that impresses me about Jay is that he doesn't waste energy. He He's always making the intelligent run and he's always, it works very efficiently. And I think we saw that on Saturday. You know, he, he was struggling to make as as all of them were to make the mark on the side especially if it was 4-0 down but he still had that vision and that drive to try and take that shot on because essentially he thought that he could put it in the back of the net um I'm super interested to hear you talk about partnering um Jay up front with Wood because I did think out of the two of them I, I just didn't ever think that Barnes and Rodriguez would play that well together um, I think he's much more suited to, to Wood's style of play so um, the, the problem is of course uh, Richard is uh, can you actually see assuming they're both fit can you actually see him not playing Wood and Barnes together? Why not? Um, obviously you've had spells this season where Barnes has scored then Wood scored um, I wouldn't say that they've have they combined that well together? As as the goals that Barnes scored, as the goals that Wood scored, been a direct result of them playing up front together. Um, I'm not. I'm not quite sure. Maybe. Um, but you look at Rodriguez. He scored three league goals now, and he's played far less minutes than the than the two of them. I think. I get why Dyche does it. He wants to settle team. But I think if he plays Wood and Rodriguez on Saturday, it's not because Barnes is a bad player. Or, you know, it doesn't mean Barnes isn't going to play again this season. It's just mixing it up a little bit and just playing somebody who I think is in better form and then Barnes can come off the bench. Uh, so you've got two players in Wood and Rodriguez who have scored a lot recently. You know, Rodriguez is just getting into, you know, is just getting into his groove. So I don't see then why you drop him and play Wood and, ba- and, and then play Barnes. Um, but at the same time, I've, I've said this before about not playing about you know not picking people and then they go and score two you know I've said it many times about Hendrick and then he's proved me wrong uh, for that and and that's why I, I don't I don't get paid to make the big decisions. <laughs> you don't get paid to come on the non never podcast either, Rich. I'm afraid. <laughs> I'm sorry to break it to you, but no, I, I've got to say though, I, I know you. This is your first full season where you've started regularly appearing on the podcast. But one of the things I do enjoy about your analysis is that you aren't afraid to be changed or turned by decisions you are you're very good at analyzing the game but you're also very clear when somebody has proved you wrong that you will give credit where credit's due um Robbie one player who has had credit where it's credit due all season um has been of course um, the ridiculous form and the ridiculous shining light that is Dwight McNeil um despite the I keep wanting to say troubles, but it was. I think you know you've got to give Chelsea some credit as well, and they were a very good side, much better than I was expecting. I'm not going to lie, um, but he looked like he could have been playing for Chelsea. He was that good for me on Saturday. Yeah, I must admit, during the game, I did actually look where if to see whether McNeil would actually fit in this in that Chelsea side because he was absolutely sensational. I thought he had the better of Azpilicueta for most of the afternoon. Um, actually, funnily, funnily enough, I had a guy sat next to me at. Uh, on Saturday, and he kicked off when Dwight McNeil were given a man a match award. But he, the quote was, "Oh, he's only just been given that because he scored a goal," and just like criticised him throughout the entire second half. And I couldn't believe what I was hearing. I really had to bite my tongue because I, I thought McNeil was an absolute dream to watch. Every time he got on the ball, you knew he was going to skip past the defender and whip a ball in, and like I said, miss Chris Wood in the box. He, he was just so positive and he just got to the byline every time. It's just something a little bit different. We got, we've been so used to our wingers in the last couple of seasons under Deitch. Sort of been a little 
been a little bit passive and sort of cutting on the inside of maybe, maybe playing like a simple a simple ball. But McNeil will do like the harder thing and run to the byline, try and get a cross in and try win a corner at least. And he was just absolutely fantastic. Yeah, it was a dream to watch. Um, Richard, I'm going to put you on the spot. Is Dwight McNeil a Burnley player next season? I hope so. I hope so, but he's going to have a lot of admirers. Um, mm. But at the same time, we've got to sell him for the for the right price. I think he's definitely getting into the bracket where is he worth fifty million? I don't think I'd accept anything less than that because the lad's got so much. As Robbie was saying, time you get the ball, you know, he's positive. You know, he's looking to beat his fullback. You're on. He's one of the few players in this Burnley team who you actually get on your edge of the seat when he wins the ball. I think he can play on the left, he can play on the right. I think he could even play in central midfield if he was playing with a three. Um, and, you know, the, the world really is at his oyster. What he's got, which a lot of young players don't have, he's got a final product too. Fantastic delivery, he's got a great strike in him. Um, I really hope we can keep him for one more year, uh, but I really do think he's destined uh, you know, to go to the very top and, you know, good luck to him. Yeah, I think I tend to agree. I will be absolutely amazed if he's here next season. Amazed. I'll be delighted, don't get me wrong, I'll be amazed. But it's just the way he he just teases the ball. It's like it's the I don't know if I can say I don't know if I can say this. I might actually give Matt a heads up here because he can always bleep me out if not. But to talk about food porn, chip porn and things like that, it's like football porn watching that ball between his, his feet. He just be able to just slide it and pass it and he'll just run past players and you just think, how is that ball still at your feet? It's, it very much is a joy to watch. Um, if we do lose him though, Robbie, his replacement um, also made a, starting to make an appearance back in the squad. We are, of course, talking about Robbie Brady. Um, really positive when I came on, I thought. I thought he did really well and he just gave that attack a little bit of charge. I think, for me, I would have brought Robbie on as soon as we went 3-0 down because I, what's the harm? We're 3-0 down and you may as well get Robbie some match fitness and get some minutes in his legs. Um, I think he left it too late, don't you, Robbie? Yeah, uh, yeah, totally agree. Um, yeah, for the first time, Robbie Brady actually come back into side. I, I didn't really see much for Leicester game, so I don't really know how how well he performed. Um, but yeah, I thought his little half an hour cameo. I thought he was excellent. Uh, he got to assist as well, didn't he? So that's a nice little uh, bonus for him. Uh, but I think obviously since his injury at Leicester a couple of years ago, we never really seen him. We've really seen him in little like drips. And he's never really looked the same, but I thought on Saturday he looked really positive. He played, he looked like he played a little more centrally as well, but he seemed to like link up with the strikers really well, and he seemed really positive trying to get the ball forward and actually running the ball at his feet. And it looked like the Robbie Brady of a couple of years ago, where he was in the form of his life. And if we can get those, get that proper like match fitness like in him and keep him fit, I think I think he could have a really good season again. Yeah, I certainly hope so, Anna. I wonder, Richard, do you think these kind of concerns play on players mentally? Because surely Robbie's now got to be in that mentality where he knows he's got to take every single chance and and play absolutely to the best of his ability because he's going to have to start trying to get some football in him because he's been injured that much since we got him. Um, I wonder if that plays on them mentally, almost like they've got a big point to prove. I think both sides are a bit mentally. I think when you, you come back from a lot of injuries, it, you know, it, it takes a while to get the form back. You know, these lads, they're not robots. Uh, 
you know, are people expecting him to come back in the team and be as good as he was just before he he, he got injured? He needs a he needs a run of games, and like you said, he's definitely got a point to prove. Now we came for a lot of money, um, and hopefully he can get a good run of games. I know Robbie mentioned before that like, he didn't really see much of the Leicester game. I thought he played well there. I thought first half he was excellent. You know, he was really tidy on the ball, give us good whip out on that left, and then second half, obviously we're not playing a lot of games. He got tired and started to fade, and he come off then. Um, I'd like to see him, you know, get a really good run in the team. I think if you've got him and McNeil on both flanks, you can exchange and swap who goes on the left and the right. And I think you can have a real uh, threat on both wings. Um, yeah, so finger, like Bobby said, fingers crossed he can come back this season, um, you know, and have, a, and have a real impact. If you were going to start him, uh, Richard, who, who would you drop? What 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 midfield would you play? Is it Hendrick that goes, or would you give one of Westwood or Corkham, I guess, a bit of a rest and then play Hendrick in the middle? What what formation would you go for? So yeah, I'd still go the four four two, and I'd, I'd have I'd like to see McNeil and Brady out wide, whichever wing. You know, as I said before, you could swap and maybe start McNeil on the left where he's been used to. But I think he's a real threat on the right coming in. Um, you know, because he, he's he's got a great strike. I'd, I'd actually like to see um, Hendrick and Westwood get a run of games in midfield. You know, as I've mentioned before, I'm so far I think Hendrick has been disappointing at, 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 at Burnley overall. But I think he start since he's come into the team this season, he started really well. And you know, why? What's the you know what's the point in putting him out wide again when he's had a run of games? He's not a winger. Mick McCarthy said this for Ireland, uh, and I think him and. Westwood in midfield now, they, they give you a, a lot more energy. You know, Jack Cork's one of my favourite all-time players. Um, I just feel like he's getting to the point now where he's more of a squad player than a, than a starting eleven player. That's not to write him off at all just yet. I would just like to see Hendrick and uh, Westwood get a go in middle and middle of midfield and, you know, get Brady and McNeil playing out wide because we've got a lot more creativity in them positions rather than Hendrick being wasted where he's not, you know, still really comfortable playing. That's super interesting. Does that strategy change if we're away from home, though, Richard? Do you still think you would want us to be more resolute and, and save that attacking threat and that creative play for just home games? Or do you think we just go for it away from home as well? Yeah, possibly. Like I said, you know, if he doesn't start Brady on Saturday and he decides to play Hendrick out wide, you know, I'm not going to, you know, have a cry or a whinge about it. Um, but like I said, yeah, possibly away from home, we can maybe look at playing Hendrick out there for a bit more um, resilience and then look to bring Brady off the bench um, as the game goes on. Um, but like you said, a home game, you know, possibly against Sheffield United, maybe go that way and then uh, next and then the game after at West Ham, you know, play with Brady and McNeil out wide, um, you know, where we, where we can be a little bit more attacking and, and, and on the front foot. Well, you heard it here first, listeners. We're going to have some changing formation. Rich Steele's going to get on the Dutch hotline. He's going to tell him what it is. Um, Robert, let's come back to you then as we leave the immediate analysis of the Chelsea game. And I'm going to ask you if you're man of the match, please. Uh, Dwight McNeil. I don't think there's any contest really. I thought Jack Cork had a good game. I know we just talked about him briefly there. I thought he had a really good game, but I thought Dwight McNeil was a different gravy. Um, he looked right at home within that, that company. Um and yeah, I thought just outstanding for 90 minutes. I feel like there might be a bit of a clean sweep here. Richard, who was your man of the match? Yeah, there's only one. I thought he was head and shoulders above any Burnley player. So yeah, it's got to be McNeil. 
And it's a three from me. Yes, I also voted for McNeil. I think they both, Robbie and Richard, are absolutely right. He was just so much better than everybody else on the pitch. Um, I don't really think that we can give it to anybody else. This week's non and ever man of the match goes to Dwight McNeil, or as Sky Sports like to call him, Aidan O'Neill. Um, so <laughs> that's that's everything on the uh, Chelsea um, game this week. <laughs> I'm getting blown away by Richard's maverick um, midfield and it's, it's rocked me a little bit. Um, that's all we're going to talk about on the actual immediate match reaction to the Chelsea game. But what did you think? Do you agree with Richard's... Um, this is why Richard's doing really well in the Fantasy Football League, by the way. He's uh, he's clearly a, a genius at, at, at swapping players around. Do you agree with Richard? Would you like to see um, Hendrick and Westwood in the centre of midfield and Brady and um, McNeil on the wings? Or would you try something completely different? Why don't you tweet us at no Nay Never or send us an email at podcast at no Nay Never dot net. Moving on, though, to this week's talking point. I think it had to just be young Mr. Deitch's crusade about the growing diving culture in football. He's been on a bit of a rant in all of his post-match interviews, quite rightly as well, actually, I think, considering how much this must be grating on him. Um, What has prompted this, you ask? Well, of course, it was the shambolic episode where Hudson-Odoi, at 4-0 up, decided he was going to blatantly dive in the area and try and deceive the referee to win his side a penalty. Um, I I, I think Michael Oliver hilariously couldn't get his whistle to his mouth quick enough he wanted to award the penalty he almost dropped the whistle on the floor he was trying to to blow for the the penalty straight away Ben Mee actually did go straight to the referee and went uh, no way was that um, a penalty and after some VAR debate it was overruled the VAR officials actually overruled a match official, made a decision in Burnley's favour, which at 4-0 down was, yeah, really greatly appreciated. Thanks. You know, you could have done that last week at Leicester, but never mind. Um, Robbie, let's start with you. Um, Do you think Deitch has got a point? Do we think there is now a growing diving culture or has it always been there? You know what? I think it's a penalty. I don't think Hudson and dives. I think it's a penalty. Yeah. Wow. Okay. <laughs> I think I'm the only Burnley fan who actually thinks it is. Am I the only one who sees Matt Lawton actually like shove him? Uh, yes. <laughs> I actually think Matt Lawton like not not shoves him. A little push, a little push, and a it looks like there's one angle where it looks like it just clips the back of his Achilles. Now Hudson Odoi makes a meal of it. Like okay. Like well, let me finish. <laughs> no, I was going to say please do. That's what I was going to say. I was just going to say let's pause it. Like, but. Look at the if you feel, if you feel contact if you feel contact you go down if you feel contact you go down and Matt Lawton definitely does put a hand on his back as if like a bit a bit like Ram, when Ramsey won a penalty a couple of years ago and that was given as a penalty and it like I say it does look like it's a little clip and yeah I, I'm I still think it's a penalty I've seen it back a few times now and I still think we got away with it. Wow, because presumably, I, I assume the VAR officials were actually only concentrating on Tarkovsky's leg. Um, okay, well, let's. What I was going to say when you were in there, I was agreeing with you. I was like, "This is amazing." I wasn't expecting this reaction. Let's just pause the general debate around diving in football then, and just Richard, how do you feel about this? Do you think it was a penalty, or do you think he did dive? Uh, live, 
it just looked like Matt Lawton just blatantly pushed him. It looked like his head was all over the place at that point and he just pushed him over. What I would say from the replays, and this is where VAR is cloudy for me, we got annoyed with the with the um with the goal being disallowed because we said, How can you as how can you clearly overturn the decision that was on the pitch? Um when when it's so clear. And I agree with Robbie at the sense that I think, how can you clearly say that was 100% a dive? And this is what I don't get about VAR at the moment. I thought it had to be, yeah, it's got to be clear and obvious error. That's the reason, and that's the reason we're, we're, we're overturning it. The contact was very, very minimal, and it probably was soft, and there was an element of it where he, where he, where he did that, but there was still contact. You, you could see that live in the stadium. So I don't, if that was Burnley, and we got given that penalty, say a nil-nil this weekend against Sheffield United, and that got overturned and it didn't get given and say Rodriguez got done for diving, we'd be all on Twitter fuming about it. Yeah, that... I would like, 100% agree. Yeah, I, that I agree. That is like the point I was going to make. Yeah, no, I, I think he has got a point there. I, to be honest, I hadn't... I hadn't seen the Lawton shove. I hadn't seen it live. I'm at the other side of the stadium, so I didn't have that clear review in it. And all of the replays that I've been watching, I've been concentrating, which is what I thought he'd given it for, Tarkovsky's leg. Now, I reached the same conclusion that you guys did, but from a different angle, in that I I don't think it was a penalty, so I think it was right to not give it. I disagree with that, although... But, but that's caveated by the fact that I didn't see the Lawton shove. Um, but I also don't think it's a dive either. And I think one of the things that I don't like about VAR in making these decisions is that when you're going to slow down action to so many frames per second to really try and decide whether there's contact, what you're taking away from it is the context of the actual challenge. And Hudson-Odoi is a fast player and it was late in the game and he still had enough in his engine to be able to run at our very tired defenders who were 4-0 down at the time and fed up. Um, and Tarkey puts his leg out. I don't think I'd realised until I saw Match of the Day just how far he'd stretched his leg out. And for me, I think that there's a natural reaction to just get out of his way because if he does make contact with um, Tarkovsky's leg, he's he's going to potentially injure himself there. So, yeah, I think I come down on the same side as you, um, but for a different reason. So I'm going to look at this again after tonight's recording and see if I can find this Lawton shove. Um, but, Richard, moving on to you. So I guess what we where we've got at the moment is that we don't think it was a dive, although he does make more of it. Now, Dyche has clearly disagreed with that. He has thought that it was a blatant foul. Um, and it's not just immediately after the game. It's been on radio tonight. So he's had time to see this again. So he's not even um, diluted his, his rant about it at all. Um, so going back to the initial point then, is there a diving culture? We saw, of course, a couple of weeks ago, the very controversial penalty that, that Marnie won um, to win at, um, against Leicester. Um <laughs> I guess we thought, didn't we, that VAR was going to rule this kind of behaviour out? But it doesn't seem to have done, does it? I'll go back to a couple of points that you made about Dice being on the radio. And Dice is very clever. He'll go on TV, radio, and he'll start moaning about diving, which, you know, or in this instance, diving. And it's just to detract the fact that two of his players, Lawton and Tarkovsky, made absolute howlers. So now... Us as Burnley fans on this podcast and the media, rather than us talking about 
how bad some of our day was on Saturday, we're talking about diving. So it gets our players out of the out of the focus, which is very clever then uh, from from him. I think. Secondly, is there a diving culture? I think so. Still, in certain players, um, but do we do it? Does Barnes do it? Which is another talking point. Does Barnes do it? Absolutely, but he does it in a different way. Um, and with VAR eradicating it, well. VAR is just not working at the moment, but that's a completely other issue. So that's kind of my summary of the different points you made in that, you know, in, in the in the question you asked me. Yeah, it's, it's a good summary, and I, I, yeah, I don't have the the energy to have another VAR debate this week. We we're done with those. Um, Robbie Richard makes some really interesting points there. Um, I quite like the idea that Deitch is starting to manipulate the media and manipulate the narrative that comes out of the club because if he can protect his players then that's a really that's a really good thing um he talks a lot doesn't he about this idea about respect um but one thing that i want to pick up on what richard said there is does barnes do it yes he absolutely does but he does it in a different way Dutch himself came out in this rant that he's been on in the press to say he's not talking about clever playing and gamesmanship that's okay Hmm. <laughs> Where are we drawing the line here? So if what he's saying is, is that if you can induce some contact and, you know, win a legitimate penalty, but you've caused that player to do that. How is that different from just the blatant dive? Is is that too simplistic, do we think? Is there a difference? Yeah, because pretty much Dax's game plan pretty much ever since been at Burnley is to hit the ball to Ashley Barnes. Barnes gets a, a, the tiniest little shoves in the back to win a free kick so we can launch the ball into the box from an indirect free kick. And there's absolutely no difference in a player sort of going down easy in the box to win a penalty. It's pretty much the same thing. I always, I've said it before, that I think Dutch is a hypocrite when it comes to little things like this. It really like annoys me that he will talk about diving and stuff like that when we're pretty much, we do that every week. And it's not just like Ashley Barnes, like Jack Court goes to ground very easily in the middle of the pitch to when he's like under pressure. Like, it happens. Like there's absolutely no difference in it at all. What do you think, um, Richard? Do you think it? Do you think Darch is on difficult ground here? If he wants to take the moral high ground, and, and obviously, and, and you know, and a lot of the points he's saying are absolutely right. By the way, I'm not not disputing that his idea of respect and fairness and 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 just having that high ground in in a game is admirable I'm just a bit confused with this narrative about what he says is acceptable do you think he's in danger of blurring it a little bit too much that he's not going to be taken seriously maybe I 100% agree diving is wrong and it should be stamped out but as Robbie mentioned then you know Barnes is the worst of it for for games from shit there's so many I, I get quite frustrated within me sometimes when the ball goes up front He's more interested in falling on the floor than actually winning a header or holding the ball up. Um, I understand why other fans, other fans get frustrated with dice because they're like, well, hold on a minute. You know, you're saying our players go down in the box to try and win a penalty, but Dyke, but Barnes is flinging himself on the floor all the time, all the all the all the time trying to win a foul. So I think he's just got to be a little bit too a, a, a little bit careful on this crusade for diving because he is hundred percent on and it should be stamped out of the game. But at the same time, he can't then applaud Barnes or Cork in the middle of the park for you know for you know for going down or when Pope takes you know a long long time uh, to to take his goal kicks so again. You know I think he's on thin ice with a more high ground and I think he should just you know now concentrate on the football a little bit more. 
you know, I said, of just constantly keeping bringing it back up because if he just constantly keeps talking about it, then it it just ends up being white noise and people won't take him seriously about it. Yeah, spot on, guys. There's some really good points in there. I don't know where this is going to go, to be honest. And like I say, that there is he's in danger of, of having the backlash backlash against him like you say with this uh, well we already see it from from opposition fans when they go on their social media rants about his hypocrisy and how he whinges about things but his team will apparently with the dirtiest team in the league but yeah no we're not but um but yeah you guys you make a really good point there he has to be very careful which battle he chooses here that said um we have seen consistently over the years managers who manipulate the press and keep the narrative away. And one of the things I've been frustrated about being Premier League for as long as we have is that you do lose that control. And that's particularly important when you are a, a family, local-run club like Burnley is. We've been so used to um, dictating what our narrative is, what our story is, what people think of us, and we do it our way. When you join such a global machine that the Premier League is, you have very little control over what is said about you and what the narrative in the press is. So if Deitch is trying to, in his way, reclaim some of that control and get the message to be what he wants it to be, even if it's just a simple thing as creating an absolute smokescreen to avoid, like you said, some issues of his own or some things in the match that he doesn't want to get in the press, then so be it. And if he's prepared to stake his reputation um, for tomorrow's chip, fish and chip paper, then then so be it. But um, let's keep an eye on this one because there is certainly not going to be the first time this season that a player dives. There's not going to be the first time this season um, that players try things against us and we are completely shafted, shall we say, with decisions that somebody has, has won against us. And we'll see what the outcome of the game is, is in, in comparison to what Deitch's overall analysis is. Um, that's all we've got time for this week. That has been a thoroughly enjoyable um, review of um, a slightly painful game at home against Chelsea, but some good bits to take away from it and I think we all left the ground chuckling a little bit at the uh, just the audacity of two very late spectacular goals it just lifted the doom and gloom a little bit um I will be back with Dave on Friday to look at the preview show where we're also joined by Chef United fan to look at our trip to Bramall Lane this weekend and the rest of the team will be back next Tuesday as usual to analyze what will hopefully be a fantastic three points on the road Thank you, as ever, to Robbie Kopak and Richard Steele, my fantastic panellists, and who've given up their time this evening to come and, and talk through that painful game. Um, it's always more difficult to analyse when it's been a loss and you don't necessarily want to relive it again. So, guys, it's been very much appreciated and I've enjoyed your company. Um, thanks to producer Matt for editing this, this week's podcast and knitting it all together for us. And thanks to Band Joyce for providing us with our jingle music. Last but by no means least, my thanks as ever go to you, the listeners, for downloading and listening to this episode. Your support is hugely appreciated and we would not be here without you. I've been Natalie Bromley. This has been the No and Ever podcast. Until next time. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. 
Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.